Hello and welcome to Cornerstone, a Fair Temple Prep podcast. I'm Jacob Crapo. And I'm Conrad Campbell. Going to the temple for the first time can be pretty intimidating. It's a new experience and it doesn't help that when we talk about the temple, it's always pretty vague. Our hope with this podcast is to outline the foundational doctrine of the temple and share what we can so that you can feel confident when you go to the house of the Lord. This podcast has not replaced official temple prep courses, but hopefully complements what you will learn there. On this first episode of the podcast, I am joined by Scott Woodward to discuss how the plan of salvation and temples relate to each other. Scott, would you like to introduce yourself real quick and then we can can jump into the conversation? I mean, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, my name is Scott Woodward. I am a lover of the temple and the plan of salvation. I, uh, I've been teaching religion in one fashion or another for about 20 years uh, for the church education system, seminary, institutes, uh, BYU Provo, BYU-Idaho. Um, and this is my passion. This is my joy. Uh, I... I just can't seem to be able to talk enough about it to where I feel satisfied. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. What else do you want to know, Jacob? I don't want to bore you with details, but I'm happy to talk about whatever. Well, you just started a podcast, too. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yes. Uh, that's right. So we, I'm also a managing director at Scripture Central, um, and I help with particularly the Doctrine and Covenants branch of that. Uh, together with Casey Griffiths, and we uh, launched a podcast called Church History Matters, where we just dig into all the important and sometimes controversial aspects of church history that we can cover. And so that one's more of a ongoing, we, we don't know when it's going to end, we can't see an end in sight. There's just so much to talk about with church history that uh, we'll just keep going until we get bored or run out. I don't know. <laughs> but but yeah, that's been an exciting project to begin. And uh, it is now officially underway. Church History Matters. So, And I've enjoyed listening to it. It's pretty great. Oh, you're nice. You're nice. Well, that's good. I'm glad at least somebody's listening to it. Uh, you and my mom, at least, are listening to that. Uh, so uh, that's good. <laughs> well, the topic for this episode is what does the plan of salvation have to do with the temple. I'm excited to pick your brain on this. Well, wonderful. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm excited to talk about it. I I think this is, me too, I think this is something that we often overlook in the church. The the temple seems to be um, kind of a box to check, something that we need to go through in order to go on missions or in order to get Mm -hmm. married and get on with your life. Um, And oftentimes... We overlook what the whole purpose of of the temple is. Yeah, and I think sometimes we don't know what we can or can't talk about about the temple, and so sometimes we try to play it safe by just not talking about it at all, and that inadvertently does a disservice to the rising generation, particularly those who have not yet received the higher ordinances. And so uh, I've appreciated the church's efforts recently on the church's website to really try to be pretty transparent about what the covenants are uh, in the endowment for instance uh, they lay them out there there's some really good temple prep resources that I wish I had 
had when I was a youth and when I was preparing for the temple. So, yeah, I think we can and we should talk more about the temple. That really is the capstone of the restoration. And hopefully this podcast can inspire some discussion with your with your leaders or with your parents or whoever it may be, someone that knows about the temple and that you, you can know, that you can talk about the temple and what goes on inside of it. So Scott, mm. the, mm. Yeah. the plan of salvation, we talk about that a lot in this church. You can hear it in General Conference. It talks about it all the time in the Book of Mormon. Um, even in Sunday school, people might have seen the circles drawn on the chalkboard that are labeled stuff like pre-mortal life, uh, earth life, the kingdoms of glory. Uh, I think that sometimes simplifies the plan of salvation in ways that we lose a lot of the rich doctrine that we have in the church. Yeah, there's more... There's a lot more to it than we used to live with God. We came to earth. We got a body. We're here to be tested so we can return to live back with Heavenly Father again someday, right? That's kind of the the way we often will talk about it together, that there's there's life after death and there's life before this. It's a three-act play. That's a wonderful analogy. I like it. Um, but the uh, the scriptures are a lot richer than just that. I mean, that, that, is as, that, that is good as far as it goes, but uh, the temple doesn't quite teach it that way. The temple, I've noticed, teaches it much more scripturally, if that makes sense. Not that there's not scriptures about premortality, and that there's not scriptures about the purpose of life. There's not scriptures about resurrection and living with God, but that's not how the scriptures tell the story, Right? Have you noticed the same thing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we talk about plain and precious truths lost from the Bible, but the, the Bible, I think it sets up the the plan of salvation pretty similar to what was is taught in the temple. Absolutely. Um, be, beginning with creation and even in the Bible, it talks about our purpose here. Yeah, the, the scriptures tend to follow that. Yeah, it starts with creation, not... Uh, not pre-mortality generally. Um, although in the Pearl of Great Price, there's a little in, in Moses chapter 4, there's a little snippet about pre-mortality, right? About the Savior being chosen to be our Redeemer. But that's it. It's almost like a passing verse or two at the beginning of Moses 4. And then it gets... Yeah, almost the bare minimum. Totally, right. And I, 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 wor- I worry sometimes. I worry that sometimes we think we know more about pre-mortality than we actually do. I appreciated a few general conferences ago, uh, President Oak saying, maybe we don't know as much as we think we know about premortality, spirit world, that kind of stuff. Uh, but what the scriptures talk a lot about is, uh, particularly when we're talking plan of salvation, the Book of Mormon follows this pattern. Clearly, it's in the beginning chapters of Genesis in the Bible, is creation, and then fall, and then atonement, right? Creation, fall, atonement, and then covenants. In fact, the Pearl of Great Price, if, if anyone wants to know, okay, what's one place I, I should go to uh, read about and prepare for the temple? Like, what's the best place in scriptures I could go to do that? Like, I would recommend the book of Moses and the Pearl of Great Price, right? Starting with chapter one, uh, Moses chapter one, and go through 
chapter 6. Moses 1 through 6 would be a phenomenal place to start. Uh, that's where the plan of salvation is taught in this pattern of creation, then fall, then atonement, and covenants. And uh, when you go to the temple, you're going to find that the plan of salvation is taught creation, fall, atonement, covenants, right? Like that's how it flows. And so if you get attuned to the scriptural language and the way the story is told in the Pearl of Great Price, uh, you're going to feel very comfortable in the temple. You're going to feel very comfortable in the endowment. Absolutely. The, I think what's, what's taught in the endowment, sometimes it can be a little scary. It's a pretty unfamiliar place, mm-hmm. but everything that's taught in the endowment, like you said, it's, it's in the scriptures. Yeah. It's the story of the plan of salvation from the scriptures. That's correct. And specifically for Moses. I, I love how you invited our listeners to, to go ahead and read that. Absolutely. That's one of the best things you can do to prepare for the temple. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe it might be helpful. Like that's, that's one thing to say, Hey, just go read the scriptures and you'll be good. Right. <laughs> like I, I remember reading the scriptures, but then going to the temple and being like, I'm not sure I understand what's happening here. And so it's been over the, the course of a few decades now where I finally tuned in, I think to what the scriptural story is saying to where I can understand what the temple is doing and teaching. And so, I don't know, it might be helpful. Maybe we can save people a few decades uh, <laughs> to maybe throw out a few things to look for in, in the book of Moses, right? You'll see it in, again in the, in the Genesis chapters, uh, the beginning of the Bible. And then the book of Moses, chapter 1 through 6, is just Joseph Smith's translation of those first few chapters in the Bible. And so... Uh, there'll be a lot of redundancy, a lot of overlap. And so I just say, just go over to Moses and uh, you'll get the, the Joseph Smith translation version. Um, would, it be, would it be helpful, do you think, to listeners if we threw out a few kind of things to, to look for and think about, uh, about creation, fall, atonement, and covenants? Would that, uh, do you think that'd be useful, Jacob? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, what if I just kind of launch in here and then you... Uh, please uh, jump in and and add uh, your insights and uh, any questions that you th- you think our listeners might be asking as they go through this. But I'll just give you a brief sketch of kind of what to look for and how to think about what the Book of Moses is saying that has helped me uh, get the most out of understanding the temple and understanding what I'm doing uh, as a participant in the temple. So uh, let's start with the creation. Let's start with the creation. So if we go to Moses chapter 2, which equates to Genesis chapter 1, and you go to verse 26 and 27, this is the familiar verses where God creates Adam and Eve. And then he says this, I, God, said unto my only begotten, which was with me from the beginning, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it was so. And I, God, said, let them have dominion over the fishes of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over all the cattle and key phrase here, and over all the earth, yeah, in verse 27, and I, God, created man in mine own image, in the image of mine only begotten created I him, male and female created I them. Tons of really cool stuff there about, you know, the image of God is male and female together. That's amazing. That's a super crucial insight. Uh, Oftentimes, I think we, we look at this phrase, image of God, and we think that means just that we look like Him, right? We look like the gods, the male and female, the father and mother. 
uh, our heavenly parents. And that is true. I think that's absolutely true. Um, but it also has a second meaning, which I wish I would have learned earlier in my, in my life, in my young uh, early temple years. And that is that image also means that we are God's image bearers, meaning that we are to reflect God's goodness and grace and uh, loving dominion out into the world. We, we are, so in ancient times, ancient temples, not LDS temples, not, you know, Christian temples, but in like ancient, the ancient world that Moses lived in, there would be a temples to like Morduk or something like that, right? There'd be these different temples. And inside the temple, in the holiest place, would be an image. There'd be, it's called the image of the God, right? There might be some statue of the God, uh, the Greeks do this too. You can see like Zeus temples and in the in the kind of the key place, you see a big statue of Zeus, which means this is Zeus's domain, right? The image of the god of the temple is the one that rules this space. So image is the 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 one who rules, right? So in this case, in the creation story, and this is right in Moses's context in his day, to say that God created man in his image and sort of places him at the final piece of creation uh, is, is suggestive that uh, we're not, we don't just look like him, but that is the image of who rules this world, right? Who is ruling this place? And it's God ruling it through us, his image bearer. So that's what I mean by image bearer. And, uh, and we are to notice in verse 26, he said, we are to have dominion. We are to rule over the whole earth. So if we asked ourselves, what were we created to do? What was it that mankind was created for? Uh, we're getting the answer right here at the very beginning of the story. The very beginning of the story says, we were created as God's image bearers to reflect his benevolent rule out into creation. We were created to rule this world with righteous dominion. That's who we are. That's why we were created. Uh, that's amazing, right? So that's that's the key piece of creation. That's the crowning bit of creation that we must keep in mind. And it's what the temple builds to, and it's what Scripture builds to when it talks about creation. It always crescendos with the creation of man, and then we are given our stewardship to rule in righteousness uh, in God's way, right, throughout the whole world. So that's the creation piece. What, what do you want to add to the to the creation piece before we go to the fall? I, I think that's really interesting. I never, I never looked at that verse that way, that because we are created in God's image, that it's not dissimilar from the the idol that's placed in, um, yeah. in the temples during like the Old Testament times and how, how God has created this world and He's He's placed us there. That's really interesting. Yeah, and then the, and the text itself and, is kind of it, it is a temple text. Uh, the creation of the world yeah. is like. This is the original temple text of like the, the Jews early on ancient Israel. Like this is the story. The story of creation is the story of. It's like like the temple is like a microcosm of God's full creation, right? And so as he's telling the story yeah. of creation, and placing this little image as the symbol of who rules this domain, and it turns out to be us. <laughs> like this is God's. We are the image uh, who is who have been sent here to rule in God's way, as his representatives. Almost like uh, one analogy someone yeah. gave is a, an angled mirror. Like we are to be the angled mirror. If you ever played with mirrors and kind of 
reflect light. You know, you kind of shine them into corners and dark places. Like, that's us. We're to be the mirror that reflect God's goodness, God's grace, God's, uh, you know, benevolent rule uh, out to all all creation. So that's the that's the capstone of creation right there. That's the key piece. Yep. But then bad news happens. Can we talk about the bad news? Let's do then, it. Then, then comes the fall. Uh, and in this story, the there's this cunning snake who tricks Adam and Eve. Uh, beguiles is the word it's used. Beguiles Eve, who then gets Adam to partake. And then they both fall, and they come under the captivity and power of the snake. So think about this. Those who were placed on earth by God to rule and reign this world, uh, to, to have righteous dominion here, are actually put under the dominion of the devil. Uh, Paul calls him in 2 Corinthians, he calls him the God of this world, talking about the devil. He says he's the one that has uh, dominion here, right? Because Adam and Eve yielded to the devil's trickery, uh, he was able to put them under his captivity and power. Now, the Book of Mormon goes on and on about this, that this is the major problem set up by the fall, is that uh, once we die, like, we're going to become the devil's eternal captives where he rules over us forever and ever. And unless something is done, we're never going to be able to achieve our destiny. We're never going to be, be able to achieve what we were created for. We were We were born to rule. We were created to rule and reign as kings and queens over God's beautiful creation. And if we're the captives of the devil, we will never be able to rise up to that, right? And so that that creates the fundamental existential problem uh, of mankind. The fall does, right? Uh, we were made to have dominion and rule, but now the devil has dominion over us. We are now his subjects, and he will rule over, he will rule over us in his kingdom forever. So that's a problem. <laughs> uh, a pretty big problem. Yeah, pretty big that's problem. A problem. Uh, yet there's this there's this moment of hope. There's this moment of hope even before Adam and Eve are are uh, kicked out of the Garden of Eden. There's this little prophecy that God actually says to the snake. Right? Uh, we could call it the snake crusher prophecy. Yeah, let me let me get the the verse up here. So in the book of Moses, it's over here in chapter four. Verse uh, 20. Okay, so here's God talking to the snake. And I, the Lord God, said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, uh, tempted Adam and Eve, thou shalt be cursed above all cattle and upon, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And then he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. And he, speaking of the seed of Eve, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It's this interesting, like, cryptic little prophecy that uh, some descendant of Eve is going to be wounded on the heel by the snake, but will with that heel, that wounded heel, bruise, or the Hebrew word there is crush the head of the snake. So this is the snake crusher prophecy. Uh, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> what on earth is this prophecy? Well, this is actually the first uh, sort of veiled prophecy about Christ, about the atoning one. 
that Christ Christ's atonement is the moment where he's going to be he's going to be wounded by the snake. They're going to kill him, but it's going to be through that very act of of wounding his heel, so to speak, that with his atoning sacrifice, he will crush the devil's head, as it were, releasing us from his power if we choose to side with Christ. So Christ's atonement is about redeeming us from the captivity and power of the devil and into the kingdom of God, where we can then rule with him on this earth forever as kings and queens. Uh, That's what the atonement of Christ is all about. In In the Book of Mormon especially, this is clear, that it's to help release us from the captivity and power of the devil so that we can what? So that we can rule in the kingdom of God, right? This is what it's about, being heirs in the kingdom of God. And so that then sets up the, the fourth piece, right? So we've got creation. We were created to rule. we got the fall, which usurps our dominion, where the devil has power over us. And then we have the atonement to reverse that and to be able to help us escape from his captivity and power so that we can be in the kingdom of God. And now the fourth piece is covenants, right? So then we're shown in the book of Moses, you'll notice in chapter 5, uh, in Moses chapter 5 and chapter 6, Adam and Eve go through a process of being taught about repentance and baptism and sacrifice and obedience. And uh, it's all laid out here. So, something that, uh, so I'll just drop a few verses uh, as a teaser that listeners can go check out. So in Moses chapter 5, like verse, verse 4 and 5, uh, I'll call that, uh, go, go look for something that we could call the law of obedience. Um, and then in verse uh, 5 and 6, look for something we could call the law of sacrifice. This is where they're taught how to sacrifice. And then in verse 8 and 9, uh, it's the beginning of them being taught what we could call the law of the gospel. And if there's actually a better version in, in Moses chapter 6, verse 50 through 52, where God teaches uh, Enoch, who's asking questions about our first parents, and the Lord teaches him what he taught Adam. And, uh, and that is faith, repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost, and entering into what he calls the holy order of God. And so go, go check out uh, Moses 6, 50 through 52. Actually, just read to the end of chapter 6, and you'll see uh, what is now laid out is this covenant path that President Nelson likes to call it, right? This is, there's this covenant path by which we can become born again into God's kingdom. We can become the children of God. Uh, in fact, let's just we'll, just, we'll just peek. We'll just peek a little bit here. We don't want to spoil it. We don't want to take away from people's uh, gospel study here on their own. But, but just a little guided, a guided uh, uh, moment here. In verse 59, Moses chapter 6, verse 59, uh, listen to this. By reason of transgression cometh the fall, right? Adam and Eve fell, boom. Which fall bringeth death, right? And death, uh, according to Book of Mormon doctrine, then sends you into the devil's power where he rules and reigns over you forever. So that's a problem. So he says, And inasmuch as you were born into the world by water and blood and the spirit, right? that's how we're born, uh, embryonic, fluid, uh, right? We were born water, blood, spirit. Spirit meaning breath here, the breath of life. When you take a breath, the word for wind and spirit and breath is all the same in Hebrew. So, you were born into the world by water and blood and spirit, which I have made, 
and so became of dust a living soul. And then he says this, Even so you must be born again into the kingdom of heaven, of water and spirit, and be cleansed by blood, even the blood of mine only begotten, that ye may be sanctified from all sin, and enjoy the words of eternal life in this world, and eternal life in the world to come, even immortal glory. Ooh. So the very first time covenants are taught to Adam and Eve, the Lord says the purpose of this is to become born again into the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's other great scriptures that talk about becoming the children of Christ, right? Covenants are the means by which we become the children of Christ and therefore heirs of his kingdom, part of that group of people who will rule the world forever. And then further ordinances prepare us to become kings and queens to rule and reign with Christ. So it's one thing to be born into his kingdom, but it's another thing to actually, you know, be fit to rule. You know, my, my kids are born into my family, but they, they can't have the car keys. They can't have the car keys until they're ready, until they're fit to, fit to drive, right? And, and there's going to be some training and some growing up that needs to happen, uh, some responsibility. I have, I have two uh, sons right now that are both... They both have driver's permits, and so we're in that process of, uh, of saying, okay, uh, you're, you're part of the family, no problem there. You are heirs of the Woodward kingdom, but, uh, but can you be trusted with the keys to the car, right? <laughs> uh, and the temple, the temple's about that. So baptism is about becoming heirs in the kingdom of God, but the temple is then going to be about growing up and... Uh, what would it take to actually be fit to rule and reign with Christ in the house of Israel forever? Like, what kind of people would we need to become in order to be trusted with that kind of power and to be able to do that in the godly way? The way that, that we were created to do it, right? To have righteous uh, dominion as God's image bearers. Like, that, that, that doesn't just come automatically. We've got to learn how to do that. And so the temple is going to then... Uh, help us grow up, if we could say it like that. Is that okay? So baptism helps us be born again. Temple helps us grow up to learn how to become the kings and queens we were created to be. Like you said, that's that's the whole point of the temple. Yeah. Is to, is to provide those ordinances where we can make those covenants. That's it. The, the covenants that will teach us what we need to become um, in order to become joint heirs with Christ. That's it. That is it. In fact, that yeah. Is, that, is it too... Uh, Actually, let me share one more verse at the end of Moses 6, just that it puts a little cherry on the top here. Uh, after this happens, after Adam is baptized in verse uh, 65, 66, then the Lord says this to him, and he receives the Holy Ghost in verse 66, and then the Lord says in verse 67, Thou art after the order of him who was without beginning of days or end of years, from all eternity to all eternity. Behold, thou art one in me, a son of God, and thus may all become my sons. Amen. This is the process by which you become the sons of God or the children of God in the fullest sense, ready to rule and reign with him. You're part of the, the holy order of God, uh, meaning this you know, order is a word we don't use quite this way very frequently. Most of our young listeners might think of an order, uh, the only way maybe you've heard it, if you're a teenager, I don't know, is maybe like the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, any Anyone out there, Order of the Phoenix, uh, right? It means like this group of, it's like this, this group, right, that are organized to do a particular thing. Or it's like a community, right? Uh, 
if there's any like super elite Boy Scouts out there, it'd be like the Order of the Arrow, right? It's like this group of people that uh, have achieved a certain status. And the Holy Order is a group of people who have achieved the status of becoming God's children in this airship sense, right? This is the Holy Order of God. And so the temple is about that, and it's about how it's about how to how those people uh, in that order now rise up, grow up, and uh, prepare to rule and reign with Him. So, so it's all there. Uh, it's all there in Moses. And then if you know if you know that much, if you ha- if you have that much uh, background and understanding, and, and I said it's kind of embarrassing. It took me way too long to to get that much of that narrative of creation, fall, atonement covenants like that's the plan of salvation in a nutshell as taught by in the scriptures right as taught in the scriptures so that the temple is the place where we are taught this plan and it's also the place where we enter into most of the covenants we need to participate in it so it's all there in the temple i'm excited for all of our listeners to go and to experience it for themselves and to Mm -hmm. to to really put the pieces together see how this this plan comes together yeah it's exciting it's exciting i i don't know maybe maybe you already knew all that did you already know all that i did not know all that when i first went to the temple i i wasn't quite sure what to expect Uh, i wish someone oh i was clueless (laughs) when i went to the temple (laughs) i wish somebody would have would have just said here's here's the skinny right and uh Maybe, you know, some of our, our listeners maybe are aware, or maybe they're not, but the church has actually produced some uh, interesting videos about, like, the temple garments, and uh, there's, like, robes that you wear uh, as part of the endowment and uh, in the marriage uh, ceiling. And the church has actually made little videos you can find on their website about, they kind of, like, have, like, a camera that, like, shows you the robes and, and kind of shows the garments that you'll you'll wear, uh, kind of laid out. And, uh, uh, I love that. I, again, I didn't, I didn't know about that as I knew about garments, but I wasn't sure about robes when I, uh, before I went to the temple. But, uh, the, the idea here is right. If you, if you know that much, if you know the story of creation, fall, atonement, covenants, the purpose is to help us overcome the captivity and power of the devil and become kings and queens and priests and priestesses, right? Then you understand that the the robes, right? The robes are about like, kind of like you you kind of go through almost a dress rehearsal of, of, you know, putting on more glory, more trust, more power, until you can be trusted to rule and reign with Christ. Like this is this is what's it'll it'll kind of happen piece by piece as you advance through the endowment and and if you know the story, if you know that what's happening is that you're being prepared to become someone who could be trusted with godlike power to rule and reign with righteous dominion then like you're like way ahead of the game like you're way ahead of the curve uh, if you know that that's what's being uh, done uh, again I wish <laughs> I wish I would have known that but I, I was always looking for like super like mysterious symbolism and stuff people would always said it's like oh so, it's so symbolic in the temple you know and uh, so I was like looking at the chandeliers like what what why is there like three tiers instead of four tiers or why is there you know and i was i was looking for all the wrong stuff right trying to find symbolism where it wasn't actually intended but uh um so stay focused stay focused (laughs) focus on the covenants uh, that you're entering into for the purpose of being trusted with god-like power right and you'll end in the endowment session you'll end in the 
celestial room, which is not actually the celestial kingdom. This is a this is a dress rehearsal, right? You're practicing. Um, it's a symbol. The celestial room is a symbol of the celestial kingdom, which, by the way, uh, a crucial piece that I didn't really understand for a long time uh, until I took Doctrine and Covenants 88 really seriously, is that the celestial kingdom is actually going to become a place on this earth, right? DNC 88 says that the God the Father is actually going to come here after the millennium. This world will become a sanctified sphere, and it'll be a place fit for celestial beings. And so when, when Christ says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, like he was serious. Like we're actually going to inherit this earth and we're going to rule and reign this earth with him. Like that's where celestial beings go, air quotes. We go uh, nowhere. We stay here on earth uh, when it becomes the sanctified celestial world, right? Or the place where the celestial world will be. Christ will be here. God the Father will be here. We're not sure how long God the Father stays here. He's got other creations too, we understand. But uh, DNC 88 says that he will crown this earth with his presence. And so uh, that's exciting. So we do come back into God's presence, but it's not because we go to where he is. It's, it's because he comes to where we are and this earth is sanctified and this is where we rule and reign. So that's the story. That's what the celestial room in the temple symbolizes is is that celestial kingdom on God's sanctified world that we will uh, help rule and reign as kings and queens. Well, thank you, Scott, for sharing that. Yeah, I, I definitely have learned a lot here, and there's lots of new stuff to ponder on and <laughs> look for while I go to the temple myself. Uh, is there anything besides Moses, uh, one or what was it, two through six? One through six? Yeah, yeah, I'd say Moses one through six. Just read those carefully. Uh, we've given you a few highlights today to think about, but uh, read those carefully. I think that's the best temple prep there is, honestly, is uh, those chapters and uh, some understanding of what to look for, which we tried to give you today so that you can uh, you can go the rest of the way. You know, you can, uh, you can see the insights, you can gain more insight, and as you go to the temple, you'll see this fleshed out uh, in front of you. And if you know what you're looking for, you're going to find it all over the place in the temple story. Thank you for listening to Cornerstone and Fairy Temple Prep Podcast. We hope that you found this discussion insightful. The Cornerstone Podcast is not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The opinions and beliefs expressed in this podcast are the views of the person who expressed them and do not necessarily represent the position of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Fair Latter-day Saints.